Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. Thank you guys for downloading, streaming, and checking it out wherever you are around the world doing so. It is greatly appreciated. Hope everybody is having a great week. Remember, we got new ones for you every Thursday here on podcast1.com or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and be sure to listen each and every week. As I always tell you guys, the Eddie Trunk podcast, the interviews you hear in it, originate and come from my Sirius XM radio show, which is heard live daily Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on channel 106 volume. It's called Trunk Nation. It's nothing but rock talk and interviews, and it replays every night as well, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. It's also on demand on the Sirius XM app. So if you live in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to get on board and join us and listen each and every day, interact, call in, be a part of the show Here on the podcast, I get to bring you one interview a week or two after it originally airs live here on the show, but it's only a tiny little taste of what I'm doing on a daily basis, so I would appreciate and love if you came on board and joined us and listened on volume each and every day and got involved in the show. Everybody else outside the U.S. and Canada, a good way to give you a little taste of some of the things that I do and do uh, on a daily basis again here in the U.S. So that's what's going on. As uh, we get ready for another huge Eddie Trunk podcast for you this week, which originated and took place at the Rainbow in Los Angeles. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that I go to Southern California once a month and actually do my Sirius XM volume show in front of a live audience from the legendary Rainbow Bar and Grill. The sixth one that I ever did took place on March 19th. And it was with Nikki Six and Tommy Lee of Motley Crue the day after the premiere of their movie, The Dirt. I attended the premiere. I attended the 
post-party for the premiere. And then the next day, Nikki and Tommy, as well as actors from the film, namely Ewan Rayon, who plays McMars, and Douglas Booth, who plays Nikki Six, all came and did my show from the Rainbow. Also, at the end of this uh, interview, you'll hear very briefly Tom Zutout step by, uh, drop by. Tom is the guy who signed Motley Crue. He is featured in the film and portrayed by Pete Davidson. We got him on at the very end. It was a wild one. We had a packed crowd there of people to watch the radio show and see Nikki and Tommy and, of course, the actors. And it was really a great celebration for the movie, which, of course, is now out and posted this past weekend on Netflix. And, you know, getting pretty much what I expected in terms of reviews. I said all along, I think it's one of those deals where if you you love Motley Crue, you're going to love the movie. If you never liked Motley Crue or what they were about, you're probably going to hate the movie. And I would think critics would dislike the movie, and that seems to be the case. Although, of course, most of the fans love it. And that's exactly how I saw it going. I think one of the interesting things about biopics is people have the need to sort of fact-check them, you know, find out what's real and what's not in these movies, how accurate they are. And I understand doing that for fun, but I also think sometimes people kind of get lost a little bit and think these things are documentaries. And nobody is saying they're documentaries. There's obviously going to be liberties taken with these storylines from Hollywood. And if you listen to this interview, I asked Nikki Six about that, and he really didn't give much of an answer. He kind of just said, uh, yeah, you know, pretty much everything was as is. Although, as we've gone forward, we have found out that there are clearly some rewrites and some storylines injected into the movie. One of the ones that I found out firsthand is that if you've seen the movie, the way Doc McGee is fired, he's fired for bringing Nikki Six's mother to meet him. In reality, Doc told me at the party uh, or the post uh, pr- of the premiere, after we left the premiere, I saw him and he told me that he never met Nikki's mother. And if you read The Dirt, he actually wasn't fired for that reason. He was fired because he also managed Bon Jovi at the time. And when they did that show in Moscow, uh, Motley Crue felt he was giving favoritism to Bon Jovi and that was the final straw. So... There are going to be those sort of things in all of these biopics, but I don't think it diminishes from the quality of them in any way because they are Hollywood recreations of a story. Look, let's be honest, half of the autobiographies out there are fabricated to some degree. So when you get to this stuff, yeah, you got to just take it for fun. You got to take it for what it is and go for the ride. And, you know, this movie is... Um, obviously in the day and times that we're living in now under a different sort of spotlight, but this was what it was like. I lived this in the early 80s. I went to L.A. I saw the Sunset Strip. So it's pretty accurate as far as the way the, the women were, the men were, the scene was, and it's a snapshot of an era and a time that is 30, 40 years ago. So I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I I, uh, I, I thought it was well done. They had a third of the budget of the Queen movie, so it's hard to compare to the Queen movie because uh, Queen had way more mo- money to work with on that movie, and it was a theatrical release. The only other thing about the movie, too, that's a bit of a bummer for me is the fact that I got to see it as a premiere, which was amazing in a theater with like 800 people, including the band, and great sound and a huge screen. Because it's a Netflix movie, there's no plans for it to play in theaters, but if that ever changes, it would be a, it would be great if you guys were able to go see it 
in a movie theater. But the response is is very hot or cold, as I anticipated, and it's drawn very much down the lines of if you're a fan and embrace this period or if you were not a fan. And if you weren't a fan, there's nothing in this movie that's going to tra- change you into being a fan of Motley Crue and that particular era of music and what went on around it. But I had a good time talking to some of the actors. Machine Gun Kelly, who plays Tommy Lee, was supposed to come and be on the show. He canceled at the last minute. Not sure what that was about but uh, he did not appear. But a little side note, Ewan, who is the guy who plays Mick Mars, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, he plays Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones, one of the most evil people ever in TV if you watch that show. So I do give a quick mention to him uh, about that during the interview as well. So hope you enjoy this. It's probably going to clock in at about an hour and a half. Nikki Six is on the entire time. Tommy joins the second half. The actors are there for a good portion of it. Tom Zutout at the very end. We cover a lot about Motley Crue and what goes on in the dirt, how it was created, what the guys feel like now that it's finally out there. I think you guys will uh, enjoy this conversation. So check it all out as we take you to the rainbow in just a couple minutes from Sirius XM and my latest Trunk Nation LA invasion from the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Remember, follow me on Twitter at Eddie Trunk, Instagram at Eddie Trunk, Facebook fan page, and also my website, which is eddietrunk.com. Music news updated daily. My appearances on the homepage. You can email me anytime you want. It is all there for you to check out on eddietrunk.com. Signed copies of my second book available if you'd like to order. Merch is available. The Trunk Report, which is uh, my blog. And if you follow on any of the social media outlets, please make a Twitter where I'm most active and up to the second. As a matter of fact, the next Trunk Nation LA Invasion is really close to happening again. I'll be announcing details about that very, very soon, if not already. So if you're in Southern California, come out and join us for these Rainbow Remotes. So much fun, and they're totally free to get into and we have a real good time there all right let's uh take a little break here we'll come right back and go to the rainbow for motley crew and my radio special being brought to you this week on the eddie trunk podcast coming up the eddie trunk podcast Sixty seconds that's exactly how long this commercial lasts you know what else you can do in about a minute You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in, and they'll check it out. And uh, you guys can look at over together. You can ask questions. You get the answers you need, so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trading your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Podcast One's coverage of March Madness runs on diesel. 
All right, it's March, which means it's time for the madness. So you know we got it all covered on the big podcast with me, Shaq. The legendary, get him out the game, baby. Dick Vitale, how you doing, coach? Hey, Shaq, what's going on, man? And we're way more than just sports, Shaquille. So be prepared to laugh as we bring you the best basketball coverage. The big podcast with Shaq. Check us out with new episodes every Monday at podcastone.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Eddie Trunk here, and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast on PodcastOne.com and iTunes. And as I mentioned, my latest L.A. invasion, that's what we call them when I do my monthly specials from the Rainbow in Los Angeles. The latest one took place a couple weeks ago with Nikki Six and Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, not even two weeks ago, plus actors from The Dirt. I think you're going to really love this conversation, especially coming off of the fact that The Dirt is now out there and everybody has had a chance to see it on Netflix and make their own opinions and judgments about it, which there seems to be many. So with that said... Uh, here we go with a live audience from the legendary Rainbow Bar and Grill. Uh, this is the Trunk Nation LA Invasion now being able to be brought to you via the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Nikki Six, everybody. And Mr. Douglas Booth, who plays Nikki in the film. And Ewan Rayan, who plays Mick Mars in the film as well, is on his way up here. And they are making their way out of the rainbow. I think they probably were just having some really good pizza back there. <laughs> they didn't want to walk away from their pizza. <laughs> good to see you, man. Nikki Six, everybody! And the man who plays Nikki Six, Mr. Douglas Booth. And the man who plays Mick Mars in the film, Ewan, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. Guys, get some headphones on, and uh, we will get into this. Looking forward to talking about that. Anybody here in the audience, were you guys at the premiere last night? So you guys saw it, right? Pretty amazing. Nikki, for you, man, this has got, this has got to feel like... I'm Finally, worried. I'm just worried about my hair. <laughs> it looks beautiful. It, okay. Yeah, it looks beautiful. This has got to be like uh, all the years and all the work and all the stop starts with this thing. How does it feel to finally be days away from everybody seeing it? It it was uh, well, we've seen it a lot, you know, during the during the uh, the shooting and the edits and stuff like that. And I've seen it, I think, twice uh, at Netflix, seeing it on the big screen. But it was really different than sitting there with just you know a couple of the actors and director and producers and stuff, and then seeing it with what? How many people were there? Eight hundred. Eight hundred people. Yeah. And the worst part was like sitting next to my eighteen-year-old daughter. Oh, boy. I, I had some explaining to do after that. <laughs> I'm sure, but it was amazing seeing. You know, I had seen it. You had sent me a link a few weeks ago, and I watched it on my laptop. But to be able to watch it in a theater, yeah. audio cranked up on the big screen, was a truly incredible experience and um the guy sitting next to you douglas booth forever to be known right. as as nikki six <laughs> as the guy who played nikki six well i have to say also during the conversation last night thanks douglas my daughter's like he's really cute i go that's 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 dark because you're talking about me at the same time that's right it's messed up right so thanks for that I look very different right now than I do when I'm in the film. So. Yeah, well, I think she prefers the way you look now oh, really? in the version of me. Yeah. 
Uh, what was it, Nikki? For you, before we get to these guys and, and their amazing performances, and just and talk about the film, there, there was so much that went on from getting this from a book to the movie that's finally coming out. Did you ever doubt that this day would happen? Were you ever wondering if we'd, you'd ever get this thing finally made? Yeah, when it was at Paramount, I was starting to feel that it was maybe not going to get made because they had the rights to it. Tom Freston, who was at MTV, uh, and MTV Viacom company, Paramount, you know, they're all in line with each other. So it was optioned by Paramount, and then Tom left. And so we were at Paramount, and during time when there's a lot of uh, turnovers, so there wasn't, we didn't really have somebody cheering cheering for the movie. It was now had gone to corporate. And uh, I will say the thing about Paramount is I believe they did have the foresight to believe that rock... Uh, a rock biopic, biopic, um, is very is would would be important because obviously they did the Queen movie, and I think that Rocket Man, the Elton John movie, is with them as well. But but they wanted to do something that wouldn't have worked for this movie, which was to clean it up. And I think that the warts are part of the beauty and the and it's part of the lesson in the in the movie. And if we would have taken that out, we would have taken the car crashes out and the drug overdoses and the personal uh, issues that we each had collectively and individually. It, it I don't know. It just wasn't right for us. It's right for it's right for uh, for Queen because they they had just one issue to deal with with Freddie. They didn't have multiple issues. Well, you mentioned the Queen movie, and I think that's interesting because this was something that was talked about being a movie. I think, if I'm not mistaken, long before. Anybody even heard about the Queen biopic? Yeah. Of course, the Queen movie got out ahead of this a little bit and went on to have this phenomenal success. I mean, yeah. the, the biggest biopic uh, in history yeah. at this point. I think it's almost grossed a billion dollars. So, something, it's, something it's like crazy. Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highest grossing drama ever as well. I really? Th I think so. Jesus. But, but w when you saw that happen yeah. and what was going on with Queen... How did, did did anything come in your mind about this? Did you say to yourself, well, that's good because it's a, it's a good table setter. People are going to be hungry for more of this. Or did you say, oh, shit, we got to have to find a – are we going to kind of live up to people's expectations seeing that movie? No. I mean we were super happy. And if anything, it raised awareness about rock music globally beyond rock fans. You know, it went into the mainstream. And I think that um, – that's what we all want is to take the music that we love and get beyond just the base of, of our fans, which is fantastic. But um, a lot of people here at one point were not fans of rock music. You were listening to something else and you discovered your bands. And I'm hoping that from this movie that there's a lot of uh, young people that discover rock music. I mean, Motley Crue, obviously, but Elton John and, and Queen as well. Hopefully it doesn't become like one of those VH1 behind the... <laughs> <laughs> the what was it music, called? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, meaning that every single person has one, you know. Right, right. So I think I think they're very special, and it takes a special band, special actors, and producers, and directors to make something like this. Because rock movies can be a little bit like you know the movie Rock Star. Yeah, I mean, it's a little cheesy. Yeah, yeah. No, this is anything but. This is a, a phenomenal movie. I don't think, as I've said, everybody's asked me about it. Who who knows? I've seen it. And I said, if you love Motley Crue and you love a great rock and roll story, there's absolutely nothing you're not going to love about the film. The last thing about the creation of it and getting to this point before we, we talk to get, get beyond this, what was the single biggest challenge 
Nikki, in getting this thing made across the board? Was it the casting? Was it the script? Was it the director? Was it the studio? What was the biggest hurdle that you had? I, it, well, it was. we had a lot of directors that, that showed up, um, and some wanted to make a kind of a mid-'80s fluff piece. One guy thought it would be uh, more fun, you know, kind of a fun movie. And we, that was a real issue for us. We, and, and when Jeff Tremaine... Uh, his name came up. We were like, we 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 didn't understand how that would work because, again, coming from the Jackass world, that's more of a comedy uh, type, you know, movie and, and TV shows. Some of those guys were there last night. I thought they were really? going to kick into a skit or something. Oh, yeah, really? Steve O was there, and all oh, those guys cool. were in the audience. Yeah, that's cool. So you know, once Jeff showed up um, and Netflix became interested, all the pieces started. To uh, come into place. When? How long before you guys had been being contacted as far as casting? How long was that? How, how long movie? ago? Yeah, before we started shooting. I, I was like 2013 or something. I was attached yeah. for a long time. Really? Yeah. You and were Nikki gonna, Six for like six years before anybody knew you were Nikki you know, Six. No, I was almost Tommy Lee yeah. for a second. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I was almost Tommy, Tommy Lee, and then um, I, then they went. We we can't find someone to play Nikki's because he's such a he, he's the you know he's a very com- he's a very complex character. Um, and he's, <laughs> it's true. Needed a Thanks. very special yeah. actor. Um, so uh, yeah, and uh, eventually I made a tape for Nikki, and um, yeah, the rest is history. So Douglas, were you? Obviously, it sounds like you're British, right? You grew up I in am, England. Yeah. Okay, so did you grow up a Motley Crue fan? Were you a Motley Crue fan? Well, I was very aware of them because they were so ingrained in like '80s rock culture. But I was born in '92, so. Um, Son of a yeah. bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> so um, I'd heard them, but then I really, really fell in love with them making this movie. I, I like that some of the actors weren't 100% ingrained in, in Motley Crue's story because it gave, it gave you guys a fresh perspective yeah. as actors. Yeah. And that's something that was important to the band is to let the actors take on the role we didn't want to micromanage it to death and we definitely didn't want to micromanage it to the point where we we're whitewashing it and trying to clean it up and try to save our asses wanted to really hand it over to jeff and jeff was going to direct these guys with the producers to make the right film you and what about you you play mick mars in the film first of all i would be remiss if i didn't mention that this is one of the most evil men on the planet if you're a game of thrones fan right there uh <laughs> Ramsey there on the end, who is now unfortunately dead from that film uh, or that series. So now you're playing Mick Mars. But tell me about how this role came to you and when you were first approached about it. Um, I think, first of all, I, I met with Jeff in, in L.A. in his office, I think it was about two years ago. And, yeah, we talked about the film. But it was more kind of like just generally meeting him and having a chat and stuff. And then, um, yeah, then they asked me to do a tape t- for Mick. So I did. I put some eyeliner on and uh, <laughs> and did a tape, and luckily I got the part. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was about two years ago. And did you get to spend some time with Mick? I mean, how did were you a big Motley Crue fan? First of all, uh, no, very much like Douglas. I was, you know, really aware of the band, um, but not and not necessarily a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously, subsequently fallen in love so with be, those tunes. But you play some guitar too. Yeah, you actually, play in, in real. Yeah. Yeah, you do. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, I'm nowhere near as good as Mick, but um, I heard you shredding in New Orleans. <laughs> it was, it was good. Yeah, um, yeah. It was quite challenging to play that stuff, man. It's better like, than the bass player. <laughs> 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 well, then, well, Douglas, do you play bass? 
Um, no, I learned for this. You did? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, did you get lessons from Nicky? Yeah, he, he was so generous and get, um, he was so generous. He would text me and be like, try this bass riff and do this. Like, he, he, I'd get like personal coaching from Nicky Six, which was pretty cool. <laughs> so, you, do either of you have an interest in playing now? Like, really getting into playing some? With guitar? Well, yeah, guitar oh, yeah. or bass. I mean, I've played guitar all my life. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah. So, it's slightly sort of more, um, not quite as heavy, but it was really good fun getting to put the distortion paddle on and make a lot of noise and piss off my neighbors. Like, you yeah. and let me ask you, this is something that just came to me too, because of the four members of Motley Crue, such huge personalities, so much is known about all of them and all the different things in the book and what have you. But Mick is a guy that if there is such a thing as being under the radar in Motley Crue in terms of all the stuff that's gone, gone on with the band, you know, maybe the least is known, maybe the, sort of like, um, the least big personality, if you will, uh, of the four guys in the band. So how did you go about learning his character and learning him and getting a feel for how to play him? Um, I think, uh, well, f- first of all, uh, in the book itself, I, f- I think that there was so much in there that I could take of Mick and you sort of hear him speaking it. And um, But there's not that much sort of footage of him or interviews or anything like that. It's quite rare. Right. So... You had to sort of, I had to try and search and find some little bits so I could listen to him talking. And of course, the big thing is the sort of physicality, which is really important for Mick. Um, with because the, of uh, his condition, or, sure. Yeah, yeah. spondylitis. So, um, but also, I didn't want to kind of over, over egg it and make it too, you know, all about that because he's, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a challenge for me. But yeah, that's all right. Kind of Did you get to spend time with him? No, no, we spoke on the phone. Okay. He but made this T-shirt for you, then. Yeah. Did he really? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, right, what's amazing. it say? Touch, Touch me? me, I'll kill you. It's, uh, <laughs> 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 it's a replica of one that he used to wear a lot, he said. And, he, yes, and uh, right. he, uh, his wife made it and sent it to me. So I wore it in the film a couple of times. Yeah. I had to get it in, yeah. I, I love the scene at the pool when you're, as Mick, sitting underneath the umbrella. And uh, Ozzy calls the band out. Oh, the, the uh, best scene. Uh, great scene. <laughs> but I love the way that you you showed that Mick was in pain, but you didn't overdo it. Like, I saw it. I just saw you just kind of... Totally. Take a second. That was it. It was just enough. I was just... I always wanted to tell you that. It just was really perfectly handled. Thank you very much. Because yeah. he wasn't like... You know, it, it, Mick now is, um, you know... Uh, what's the word? Uh, it's it's stopped progressing, basically. So he is. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So he is where he is, and he's told me multiple times he's glad that the the way that his spine fused slightly forward, he can see his guitar neck because that's all he really cares about is guitar. And uh, it's so people think it is bad. He's he does deal with pain, but it's not so dramatic. And I love that you didn't make it that way. Yeah, I think that was really important because he, you know he's overcome it, um, and you know he's he's not let it get in his in his way, and I think that's one of the yeah. the great you know one of the most amazing things about him. Um, so yeah, I didn't so that was very important to sort of do it 
but not overdo it. And Nikki, that's exactly right. I saw, I picked up on that too when I saw it on big screen last night because you just get up almost like there's a pinch and you're like, but it's not over the top. Just to remind people if you're watching closely that yeah, this guy's dealing with something. And yeah. I, I really, I really thought that was uh, that was amazing as well. So it sounds like though, Douglas, you and Nikki spent some time together. I mean, did you, you guys? Are you based here now, Douglas, in Los uh, Angeles? I'm, I'm living here temporarily, but I'm, I'm based in London. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> did, did you not know that? I didn't know that. Oh, we're fighting. Yeah. So, uh, so, so did you? So did you guys? He how- moves to LA from the UK and doesn't tell me. I know. We've got to hang out more. Oh yeah. No, I don't want to now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you? So you guys spent a lot of time together, like Nikki. That's got to be somewhat of a like. How do you tell somebody here's how to be like me? I mean, like you just hang around with them, he or was do always you just so generous um, and inviting and kind, and made me feel so safe. Because I, I remember when I went to first meet him, I was like, no, you, "You read the dirt," and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm about to meet Nikki Six. <laughs> he walked through the door, and he was just the most generous, warm, kind, inviting person. Made me feel so safe to play him. And you kind of gave me, you gave me um, a copy of the Heroin Diaries, which was, which I hadn't read at that point. Um, which really helped in my research. And, yeah, you always made me feel very welcome and made it very easy for me. Thank you. And, Nikki, what's it like for you to watch a movie and watch a guy playing you? Like, when you look, watch him and you watch him dressed as you and acting like you as best as he can and performing as you, I mean, mm-hmm. look, are you looking at a mirror? Or, like, how does that impact? Like, I can't imagine what that would be like from, from your perspective. Uh, I, I feel... I, I was trying to figure out how to put it into words, and, and Vince actually said it to me the other day on the phone. He said, after like a couple of minutes of watching the film, I forgot he was watching a film about us. Uh, and, and I felt the same way. I, I couldn't, couldn't put my finger on it. I just got sucked into the movie. And then there'll be little moments. Uh, it's, it's, it's like really hard for me to even think about um, and talk about, but when I was strung out on heroin, and my mom was calling, and I, I actually didn't have, I think the courage, or the, uh, I wasn't mature enough to pick up the phone, uh, to confront my mom or to have closure. And that scene when you're shooting up and the phone's ringing and she's calling, it's really hard to watch. But that's the stuff I like about that. That will, I'll be like, oh shit, that, that's a, that's real. And then, then I get lost back in the movie. It's uh, it's amazing, and, and uh, everybody's going to have a chance to see this uh, this film on Friday when it posts on Netflix uh, around the world. The, the anticipation is is off the charts, and you got to be feeling it from the fans. I think at this point, right, Nikki, that this thing is finally cool. imminent. Like they never thought they were going to see this day come, and it's almost here. It's really cool. I mean, I think we all got a lot of feedback uh, from the premiere. Yeah, from fan and seeing online what people are saying online, not the press so much, like actual fans. Yeah, uh, you're, you know, we're both rock fans, right? Big time rock fans, and we could talk about UFO for eight hours. Which there we, was a poster in the movie. Yes, there was. The greatest yes. thing. As soon as it came out, I was like, yes, there's a UFO poster yes. in a movie. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. These two are looking at us like, who, who, these, yeah, what's, old, what's, these two old guys talking about UFO. It's a great band name. And both, you're both British, aren't you? Uh, yeah. You better know yeah. UFO for God. It's a British band. You, Nikki and I are going to take the next hour and a half. Is just it was a long, long time ago. UFO. Yeah. <laughs> there was a guy named Michael Shanker that people still trying to play like. Yeah. And a guy named Pete Way where, where, where he had poster? some pants like Pete at one That's point. That's right. I sure yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
But yeah, it is it is an homage as well to just a great era for rock music, the movie. That's a great point, by the way. It's like when I'm watching this thing, and and look, I know that that everybody knows you guys did a lot of fucked up stuff. Let's be honest. Everybody knows that. That's no secret. But there is also something when you watch the movie that and maybe it's just because of my age and we're around the same age that you look at that and you're like, those were kind of the good old days. You know, when you see where we're sitting right now, the rainbow and the strip and what went on and the flyering and the whiskey and the vibe and, you know, destroying hotel rooms and everything. Of course it's not right, but there's an element as a rock fan that you're like, damn, that's that was the shit back then, you know? And I don't know, maybe it's just sort of a romantic thing, but I don't know if that conjured that up for you or not, but I'm like, we need some bands throwing shit out of windows again onto people's cars, you know? Yeah, bands now uh, do yoga before they go on stage. <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure, but uh, but I've heard. Mostly the British bands do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I've been backstage at more shows now where they're juicing, and yes, they're getting their yoga lessons. Salonics. <laughs> exactly. So there is something uh, about that. Did those... Did those things uh, bring back a lot of fond memories? Just sitting here, Nikki, you're in the rainbow. We're at yeah. the rainbow right now. So there's a couple scenes in the movie at the rainbow. Yeah. I mean, did it bring back a lot of uh, a lot of great memories for you, I imagine? So, some of that stuff. And it's a lot of people have asked us over the years, what was the Sunset Music Strip scene like? And we've always been saying we actually don't know because we, we you know, I was playing in the late 70s here in Los Angeles in my band London. And that was right, kind of like the punk thing, new wave thing was happening. And I wanted to differentiate a band from that, that scene. And that's where the first Motley Crue album came from. I was writing a lot of that music, which was for the other band. And I had a conversation with the band that we needed to compete. We needed to get heavier. We needed to compete with the punks, to be honest with you. Um, and we disagreed, so I quit the band. The greatest decision I ever made was to leave one of the biggest bands in Los Angeles at that time. And I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have a job. Luckily, I had a girlfriend, so I had somewhere to live. And I was writing these songs. And that's I met Tommy and, you know, the history of how the band got together. And what I love is that the movie really represents that, that part of Motley Crue. Like, you got to understand who Tommy was. He was living at home with his mom and dad. You got to understand how I came to Los Angeles. You understood that 10 years before we even met Mick, he had been diagnosed, <clears throat> and, and, uh, and Vince as well. So I, that was important to me before we got to the rainbow, before any of that stuff started happening. Well, there's a scene in the movie where you, you had just quit London, and uh, Tommy... Um, Colson, who plays Tommy, of course, yeah. walks up to you at uh, what I think is Dupar's. It's supposed to be Dupar's, it looks like, because yeah. I saw it on the window. And uh, he pulls up right at, you know, flipping his sticks right at the booth and starts talking to you. And you you were, even though in the film you're kind of giving him a little bit of the once-over, you're kind of receptive in letting him, this stranger, kind of sit down and twirl his sticks and talk to you. Is that really how it happened? Did you immediately have some sort of vibe with him that you were welcoming like that initially? Yeah, there was absolutely um, darkness and lightness, and we were drawn to each other because of that. I would come up with the idea <clears throat> how to get the TV out the window, and then Tommy would throw the TV out the window. <laughs> <laughs> we worked well together. 
But my hands were clean. <laughs> you were the you you pulled the strings and you yeah. dispatched someone else to do the yeah. do the work. No, but that was always our relationship. Was this this darkness and lightness? His uh, you know his personality is very outgoing and he loves everything. He's quick to fall in love with stuff. And uh, you know I we just see things differently, and that's part of the magic. Even in our musicianship, Tommy pl- oh, Tommy plays more fills, more fill like grooves inside the groove, all this stuff. And I'd like to play it straight right down the middle, just like ACDC or like the Pistols. I don't do a lot of walking. Um, it's just not – I don't believe that I'm serving the song and as a songwriter, I'm thinking what should the bass be doing to the song. And that's usually to just hold down the fort. And in that early period of the band's history, which again is chronicled in the film, there's a, there's a, there's a great moment in it where – there's a different guitar player in the band. And then Mick, uh, you and your character, Mick, comes in for the audition. And you basically, uh, immediately, right out of the gate, they're calling you the old guy. You know? yeah. <laughs> which, which, did you, was that really, like, right out of the gate, you were busting balls like that, Nicky, with Mick? A, a bit. I mean, it was really Mick who kind of would call Tommy a teenager. Which, or just I, call him drummer, right? Drummer, teenager, whatever. And I love that. I, you nailed Mick. Oh, yeah. What was – you really did explain the fact that there's very little out there about Mick. I mean, yes, if you're a diehard Molly Crew fan, but you can find anything on the other guys right. and do research. And where Mick really is uh, – his strong suit is his one-liners. And we literally he will say nothing for a day, and then he'll say one thing, and we're like, whoa. <laughs> Well, that's almost like when you um, dismiss the other guitar player. Yeah. In the, there's a great moment in there. I forget the exact line or something, but where you, you know, they're trying to. Nikki, I think I, I'm, I'm talking to Nikki like he's yeah. Douglas when I should be talking. It's just it's very confusing for me. <laughs> but Douglas, where you turn to you and and say, well, well, go ahead and take care of it, and and. Mick's character does the hatchet job on the on the on the other guy in there, and uh, that just captured the way, with very few words, Mick can get what done what he needs to get done. Right? I mean, that was really the his whole his whole demeanor. Yeah, I think I remember you telling me that about Mick, how he just you wouldn't say anything, and then he'll just have that one killer line. And I think I think the script was written very well like that. He just very you know very sparingly had his little moments, but. I think what's interesting about him is almost like it's the audience's way into the movie that, to gauge what these guys are doing um, through through mixed reactions to just how everything's going. So that I think is part of the dynamics, a really crucial part of the dynamic of the of the band. I'd, imag- I'd imagine when you were when you guys were uh, were, were in, you know. Yeah. No, I nailed it. And and was there there was another guitar player at that yeah. at that point? Was there ever a consideration that Motley would be a two guitar band, Nikki? Yeah, there was always the intention. Yeah, but Mick didn't. He said, "There's only one guitar player." Right? <laughs> I mean, I wanted us to be like an Aerosmith or a Stones. Uh-huh. I all, always all my song ideas I have. I always have two guitar part ideas, but. That never happened. <laughs> and then when you guys go and uh, and begin your search for the singer, and you go to that party that that Vince is playing in his band Rock Candy, uh, again being the music geek that I am, I I look at every single little thing and take it all in. I watch every credit till the very end. But he's playing a great Billy Squire song, "My Kind of Lover," in the movie. Was was he actually playing that? Do you actually recall that song, or was 
Do I don't recall that? him bl- doing that song. I I remember him playing uh, "He's a Whore" by Cheap Trick. That's another great song. Which you know, "Too Fast for Love." The verse is basically "He's a Whore." Right, right. And I mean, it is the verse. I mean, it is it is Cheap Trick. <laughs> Rick is there Nielsen, a statue Rick of Nielsen. limitation? I don't know. I was just gonna say. I don't know. No, it's not Cheap Trick. It's not Cheap Trick. It's been 30 years, so I think you're good. Okay, At least it is 30 cheap years. Trick. It is cheap trick. <laughs> Rick, uh, Nikki just ripped you off, he's telling you, so he'll send you the check. Do you guys, uh, do you guys, I mean, I know you're in the movie, you were all just at the premiere and everything, but when Friday comes, will you, like, get some friends together and, and watch it, or do you, when you're done with something, you just move on? I mean, I've seen it three times now. You're done with it. So, no, I'm definitely not done with it. It's actually one of. It's my favorite film to watch that I've ever made. It is so fun, and you get so, so I kind of forget that I'm in it, and I just get swept along for the ride. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of friends who are doing viewing parties. I think my mate's got a bar, and he's going to project on a big screen and and you know have a lock in and have some fun. You and what about for you? Are you gonna Are you gonna I'm watch? Going to, where, where's this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you there. He's looking for the party. You, you can come to my house. The Douglas can't come. No, you can't come. <laughs> We're fighting now. <laughs> Nikki, you talked about your your daughter who watched who was at the premiere. Yeah, and and uh, you know, for you, for your kids watching it, do you, you know, how how do you how do you handle that? Just hey, that's how Daddy was at the time, or my my kids are smart. They they get it. I I've done a couple things I think were important in their life. One is that if you go to my house, there's no gold or platinum records anywhere. They're in boxes in storage, and that doesn't mean I don't love them. I just don't need them to define who I am and for my kids to be defined by a dad who has 50 gold and platinum records when they're, you know, I'd bring their friends over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my kids grew up with a dad that wanted to be everything my dad was, and I wanted to be present. I made the bologna sandwiches. I took them to school. You know, I'd stay late in the studio. I'd get up early. You know, it wasn't easy, but I did it, and I raised my kids mostly in divorce, and that was that was hard, and, you know, obviously I'd been through that. So there was a lot of triggers for me where I wanted to be present for my kids. They've heard stories. I've told them stuff. And can you imagine having me sit down with you if you're a kid to have the drug talk? <laughs> oh, my God. And and I, I like to make up shit, and it's not even real, and then it becomes real. So I had a thing called the talking chair in my house, and that was in my bedroom, and it was this, like, zebra-striped antique chair. And if you got called to the talking chair, it was like, oh, no, because Dad can talk, man. <laughs> and he can talk. And, I, and that's what we would talk about, like, real issues and real stuff. So by the time they came to the, you know, they see the movie, they, they knew that Dad had been a drug addict and had survived that and was in recovery. And uh, But there's stuff... They they met, I guess their grandmother, my mom, um, a few times, and, and it was hard for them because they saw that we we had nothing, and they were trying to like I took them to Seattle to be with my mom, and we they were like they they couldn't feel a connection to her either, so it was like weird for for them, and then they saw what happened to me that I never explained to them about the knife. Um, being a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that yeah, I'm, they put me in the talking chair after that. I guess, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's real stuff, you know. And you gotta you gotta address it, and and it's uh, it's cool to be a rock star and all that stuff. But it's more important for me to be a human being. 
You know, there's uh, something that, 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 yeah, absolutely, that connected with me in the film also is when you change your name and you did it pretty quickly uh, and you went, first of all, how did you come up with Nikki Six from Frank Ferrana? What was that process? Um, so I was in the band London. Yeah. And I had changed my name to Nikki. I was Nikki London from London because all my favorite bands were from London. And uh, I, would, I wasn't a big thinker. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I actually figured out how to get this guy, Nigel Benjamin, who replaced Ian Hunter in Mott the Hoople that became Mott and then the British Lions to come to L.A. and be the singer in London. And he was British. So everything was working great. I, I had these dreams. My uncle was the president of Capitol Records. So I'm like, I'm, this is it. I'm going to do this. And I, I figured I didn't want to be Nikki London of London. I don't know why that kept coming to my head. So I was going to change my name to Nikki Nine. But there was this girl that I was, uh, we were sharing a bed together. And uh, she had a boyfriend named Nikki Six. <laughs> So I said, not only am I going to steal his girlfriend, I'm going to steal his name. <laughs> and it was a joke uh, that turned out pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is weird. What a weird... Can you cuss on this channel? Yeah. What a weird fucking life. <laughs> and you know what I never put together until I watched the movie was... Um, on with the show. Frankie died the other night. That's how you knew that. I never put that together until last night because I, even knowing. Did you guys know that? Understand that? No. Did you understand why that song was there? Okay, so I changed my name, obviously, but um, the song on with the show, the open, it was on our first album. It says Frankie died just the other night. Some say it was suicide. So I metaphorically killed myself to rid myself of my father and I changed my name and that's how that came interesting to get flipped back to the kids coming here my daughter Frankie called me wow life's weird man you know it'd be really weird if you change your name to Douglas Booth oh I'm, <laughs> you, you, you change yours to Frank yeah. <laughs> but uh, she called me and said to me uh, I realize now why you named me that which was to have closure with your father. Mm. Yeah. See, we thought we were going to have fun. You brought me in here. I'm a little dark all rain right. cloud. All right, no, let's, let's talk about getting blowjobs under the booth in the rainbow then. Let's turn it around and have some fun. There you go. <laughs> Is that girl still in there, Nikki? Do we know if she's still in there? That's a, that's a prominent scene in the film with, uh, with a couple of, well, well, Razzle when he sits down, who welcomes it, and Tom, the character of Tom Zutat, who's played by Pete Davidson, yeah. Who sits down and jumps away from it? Yeah. But that, but talk a little bit, if you will, about your connection to the place we're appropriately doing this in right now—the Rainbow here in Los Angeles. When did you first come here? I I came here in the late seventies, seventy six, seventy seven. To this, uh, act, I, to I actually was, at the Rainbow. So I was twenty in seventy eight. So um, Mario and they would. I had some. I was a good fast talker, and I'd get myself in here somehow. And then was it tough to get in at uh, that time? You know, I don't know. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yes. 
Well, super e- no, super easy to get in. Oh, easy to so get in. So you get in. It was a cool place. There was lots, lots of musicians. Uh, first time I heard about the Rainbow, I was at a friend's house in the Valley. So it had to be maybe 1976. So I was like maybe 17 years old. And his older brother came, came home, and uh, we were listening to his stereo, the older brother's stereo in his bedroom, probably listening to UFO or something. And he came in. He said, I saw Robert Plant. And we're like, where the fuck did you see Robert Plant? And he goes, and I saw Mick Jagger. I go, where is this, where is this place? Mythical rock and roll heaven. Yeah. yeah, and he goes, it's called the Rainbow, and we took a bus to get here. I didn't get in then, but that was the first time coming here. And this, that's what I thought was going on inside there, so we, we had to get in. Uh, ironically, later, when I was 22, when the band started, Tommy was 17 or 18, we had to sneak Tommy in the way, I, the way I used to get snuck in. Underage? Yeah. Because you guys were underage. Yeah. Well, Tommy was underage when the band started. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, if the walls could talk in this place, but a little bit of what goes what went on back then is is in the film. Now, was that actually shot here or was that shot where where did you actually shoot the, the stuff from the rainbow? So we actually shot the um, film in New Orleans. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, they built a replica of the rainbow, the whiskey and... Yeah. Wow. So everything that in the film was shot in New Orleans, New Orleans. huh? There's, they, they did like exterior, some exterior stuff here, and you know, made the world feel real. And but the rest of the movie was shot in New Orleans. Yeah. That probably didn't suck though to spend that much time in New Orleans, right? We arrived. Well, we, we, we had some fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard stories about you guys. You guys were going out, weren't you? Yeah. Not as hard as you guys did back in the day, but um, I heard stories. I heard you bit Jeff Tremaine. Did I? Well, I, I I remember this was the first this was the first um, night we went out, and um, I read that in the book, The Dirt, you um, you went around. Who was who was it that you famously bit? Was it Gun, the guy from? Uh, uh, we bit Eddie Van Halen's hand. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think I think I think we were, we were watching Big Frida, and I think I was just getting carried away and a bit <laughs> drunk and like jokingly bit Jeff, trying to like trying to be you, trying to be as cool as you, but not succeeding. <laughs> Jeff deserves to be bitten. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he? He's very biteable. You got caught up in being Nikki Six, didn't you? Didn't you, Douglas? It's it's quite quite a, yeah. Yeah, it's seductive. Life imitating art. Is that what what they usually say about that, right? Um, You and for you, did you enjoy the process of actually, tell me if I'm wrong here, but watching this thing, it looks to me like if I was an actor in it, it would have been a blast to make. It would have been so much fun. Was Was it fun, the whole shoot? Yes. Uh, no, it was, it was really good fun, you know, from we got to spend a lot of time together in New Orleans before we started shooting, which is quite rare, um, and we, we had the thing which was called band camp, it's not as cool, it was a lot cooler than it sounds, and um, where we just sort of learned the songs and we all sort of got to know each other and we had a lot of time. And that's yeah. rare on a movie, to get that much time together before yeah. you start. So. Uh, so was we, that yeah. where me and Tommy went? Was yeah, that, yeah, 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 you yeah. Came. that was fantastic. And we, yes, and we, and there was Mardi Gras. So we all sort of hung out a lot. So we, we became really good friends very early on. And we, and I think that comes across in the, in the movie, the dynamic of the group. Um, and then, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. And, and Jeff uh, likes to keep a, you know, a loose set. It's not, you know, he, he's playing music in between takes and stuff, which. You know, it's quite it's very rare, um, and you know, and then also he gave us a lot of freedom with the characters as well, and and with the lines and saying what would you say? Do you think if you want to add a lot of improvising going on, um, which is quite risk, but you know, still very focused. We all had to be very focused because you just have to be um, on a film set. But 
yeah, the, we had a lot of freedom, so it was a lot of fun, yeah. Nikki, how often did you get to New Orleans to check on what was we, going on? We went one time. Well, yeah, just we, one time, we, we huh? Went for, what, a few days going out there, yeah. And Jeff, who for everyone who doesn't, hasn't figured it out, Jeff is Jeff Tremaine, who yes. directed it. And uh, that, that in and of itself was, uh, it sounds like a, a, a savior in making this movie happen. I, that he, yeah. I mean, why was that the right guy to you, Nikki? D- Jeff, um, Alan Kovac, uh, Motley Crue's manager and one of the co-producers on the film, called me and, and mentioned Jeff Tremaine. And I, and I love Jackass stuff, but I, w- I, didn't, I didn't get it. Because we were very scared of having a movie made, be made about our band that would destroy what what we had built. You know, it's it's pretty normal for uh, for an artist to be concerned about something like that. And, and there's been not a lot of rock movies out there that we felt we could like could tip our hat towards and go. We, there's like a lot of good experiences there. The, now we got the Queen movie now, but before that you had the Doors movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. Almost Famous is awesome, but it's not a real band. Right. So, so there, Cameron Crow had a lot of, you know, wiggle room to make that story however we wanted to make it. So I, we were, uh, we were, we were a little scared of Jeff because we didn't want to, we didn't want to make a comedy. Yet there's fun bits about it. You know, a lot of fun. Right. Uh, he he sat down with me in New York and he convinced me. He was like, I'm the guy, and he told me why. And he had this sizzle reel that just kind of blew my mind. And uh, he thought I was going to say no. And I said yes. And he thought Tommy was going to be an easy sell. And Tommy was a really hard sell. Really? Yeah, Tommy was like really put him through the ringer. And you were worried it was going to kind of be goofy or corny yeah, and, yeah. and just not. Yeah. Because, because the thing about this film is that for all the, the fun moments in it, and there are some literally laugh-out-loud moments... There's some heavy drama in this movie, too. I mean, that's the story of Motley Crue, and that needs to come across to really tell this the right way, and it does. Yeah, I think it's some really, really emotional bits. I mean, I, watching it last night, I was getting a bit teary at some of it, you know, and it's, um, it's got a lot, you know, you know, obviously it's all the fun bit and, the, you know, all the rock and roll, but it's also got that real sort of dramatic the, element. The, of the girl who plays Vince's daughter is one of the best actresses I've ever Ever really? since she's Wonderful, like, yeah, yeah how, like five years old or something. And I'm like, did she really cry? Was that real? Yeah, tears? real. Yeah, she's incredible. Like, she's incredible. I was like looking at that. I was like, they must have put something in her eyes. No, no, no. Yeah. Unbelievable. Was, how old is she? She's probably like. I'm not, I'm not sure how. Yeah, she can't be more than about six. Yeah, she yeah. got. She probably got like eight agents last night. <laughs> <laughs> right. Was she at the premiere, Douglas? She was. No, there. I, was I she? didn't see her. I, I didn't see so her. many people there, but um, I don't think the opening scene would be good for her. Yeah. No, yeah. no, <laughs> no gotcha. yeah, no. She actually definitely wasn't there. Obviously, she wasn't. Probably, there. Yeah, no, no, when that opening scene, when that opening scene happened, explain the opening scene. I'm not going to explain the opening scene. So it was like this moment in the theater, and I just heard this. And it was just like everybody exhaled, and I was like, okay, start breathing. Start breathing. <laughs> you, should we not explain the opening scene? Should we let people wait till Friday? Well, it's the opening of the book as well. And I, yeah. th- and I think like it's the one thing I read online the most. It, like, is it going to open the same very way important the book? To people that A lot of there. people, it's very important that it is. It the squ- let's moment. just say it's the squirter. Yeah. Should we leave it at that? It's- we'll be right back with more with Nikki, Tommy, cast members of The Dirt from the Rainbow in L.A. on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey, if you like my show, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger Show on Podcast One. Join the host of one of the most downloaded new podcasts of 2018 as he dissects the game plans of the most successful people on the planet in order to help you be the best you can be. Check out the Jordan Harbinger Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more of my conversation with members of Motley Crue about the dirt from the rainbow in L.A. on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. We are here celebrating the release of The Dirt coming on Netflix this Friday. Also, new music from Motley Crue with a soundtrack we'll talk about in a second. And uh, we are going to now welcome Ewan stays with us, Douglas stays with us, Nikki stays with us. And now we are going to welcome the drummer in Motley Crue. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Tommy Lee, everybody. What's up? <laughs> I have a hat very similar to Tommy's hat, and uh, thank God I follow him on uh, Instagram, even though he blocked me at one point in my life, um, because I saw what hat he was wearing, and I didn't wear mine, because we would really be... It would be so gay. Tommy, you were at the post party last night. I saw you briefly at the whiskey. Of course. Did you just roll up from there? Did you, were you there still? Or did you just never go home? I, I think I slept for maybe... A couple hours. In your car. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever left the rainbow since the early scenes in the movie? You've been back there at that booth the whole time, haven't you? You, you know what's crazy? I walk, just walked down the stairs, and I just started to walk. I, you did I the loop? I didn't know where the, the loop. I did the loop. I did a lap. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know where the interview was, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I walked like right to where we always sat. They're like, you were no. waiting, waiting for me. Yeah, they're like, no, dude, out, it's outside. I'm like, oh, so, okay. So oh, this is this is where Be Real smokes a shitload of joints. <laughs> so do you remember, like, if you were like starting to make some noise here in Los Angeles, you would eventually get to the back corner booth. That's what Tommy's probably talking about in the back. Yep, that was the that was the booth. Or the prime spot. Or, or the, the one in the middle. Or no, or the stairs up to the bathroom. Yeah, it was a yeah. Yeah. Oh, that booth, the long one along the side there as people go in up and down the stairs. Yeah, you, you go up the stairs and then you go left. Oh, up the annex, yeah. up top. Yeah, no, no, yeah, the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I, I guess you, we, you can call it the annex, you can call it whatever you, can call you want. Whatever you, want. <laughs> you can call it anal. <laughs> When was the last time either of you guys were here at the Rainbow? I mean, I, it's probably quite difficult for you to come here and just order a pizza with so many fans here. But have you? Do you able? Are you able to come in here and kind of low we, key it and hang out every once in a while? We both live really far from here, actually. Oh, you do. Yeah. So but, it's kind of a beast to come down. Yeah, but um, come here a lot. Um, a lot of friends play at the Roxy next right, door. Right. So um, I've been here. I don't know. Not not that long ago, a couple of times. The uh, shit. Who did I see? Um, uh, by the way, the Foo Fighters. 
love the fucking movie. Uh, they, yeah, Taylor hit me up last night. Yeah, freaking dude, out. he was. Yeah, I, I was on the phone with him for like twenty minutes. He's like, "Dude, the fucking movie's fucking rad. This is fucking crazy." Yeah. <laughs> I saw yeah. him in the lobby afterwards. We talked about it. He's pretty pretty amped up. He was flipping out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So rad. Tommy, what do you think of the movie, man? I mean, this I, I mean, you weren't here in the first hour, but I talked to Nikki a lot about it and how how it's taken so long to get to this point. Now you've seen it on the big screen last night. How how you feeling about this thing? Um it's epic. You're happy with everything. Yeah. Oh my god. And and I tell people, uh, Nikki and I saw the movie at, at my home. We were recording new music for the dirt for the movie. And uh, Jeff Romaine brought over, like, I guess the, the kind of first cut. Yeah. Right? And we watched it, and I just, both of us were sitting there like We were this. sitting next to each other. In the, yeah. In the movie theater at my house, and I was like, this is fucking crazy. Um, but um, I, I don't know. When you watch your life go by, or 30-something years of your life go by in two hours, um. I feel like you know, I saw, but I, I missed so many elements. And it was so nice last night to see, like, the whole thing. So I've now seen it twice, and I'm probably going to watch it again on, on, on Friday. Will you watch it yeah. Friday? Will, when it, the day of post, like we were talking about, people are having viewing parties, and Douglas has a big party. He's not inviting anybody to his too, house. But he's what? got a whole thing going on at his what, house. What time? Um, it was my friend's bar in East London, so I... Oh, you yeah. and like... Oh, That's okay. It's okay. We'll go. We, we got airplanes. We, we got airplanes, yeah. We got jets. We can <laughs> all go in on a jet. And some jet. No problem, yeah. We got jets and jets and jets. <laughs> Let's do Dude. That. that sounds like... That sounds great. So good to see you. So, so, uh. so Tommy, these guys, of, of course, you know, play, played Nicky and played Mick. The guy that plays you in the movie, Col- yep. Colson Baker... A.K.A. Machine Gun Kelly is. I met him last night at the whiskey at the after party. It's insane how much he kind of doesn't necessarily resemble you, but his whole vibe is so you. What is what? Talk about. Did you work with him? Did you hang with him? What was that like for you? Yeah, look, and I. I I gave him both meth. (laughs) (laughs) So. I'm going to take credit for that because <laughs> they're both like geeking out all the time. Ta- always. Always, yeah. The, the same build, skinny, lanky, fucking psycho. He's fucking crazy, right? You are basically the same person. I remember, <laughs> I, I, remember I, I went, I flew to LA and that's when I met you for the first time. And we read, th- I read with three different Tommy Lees. Um, three different Tommy Lees, yeah. Um, we kind of. Uh, testing them and he came in and, and as soon as he walked in we were like everyone turned to each other was like this is the guy it has to be <laughs> he was like dude I just crashed my car on the way here man I'm like just, yeah. now, Tom, Tommy you're, you're in you, you, know, you know what's crazy yeah go ahead it's like all of all of their dedication to playing each guy uh, from Colson to, to all the boys like it's fucking crazy that they like studied Obviously, uh, our mannerisms, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we... It's fucking crazy to... It's surreal. It's fucking weird sitting next to you guys. (laughs) I mean, can you tell us how you guys, as actors, how do you do that? 
Yeah. I mean, there's so much footage of you guys for, for like mannerisms and things, but then also you have to think like, what is Nikki? What was Nikki like in public? What was Nikki like in private? Like, what was you know? Do you have to kind of you, you can't base your character just on like an MTV interview, of course. So obviously you have the book, um, The Dirt and The Heroin Diaries, which for me was one of the biggest um, biggest insights. It was like minute by minute what you were going through at a certain point in your life. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like and, watching and, videos and, and picking up manners. How do you change your accent? Really like go Nikki, like, like, like yeah, dude. Nose, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to talk listen, listen to this. He, he was at my house, what, a few weeks ago, if, I don't know, it might have been three weeks ago. When you, when it you was inter- a couple of weeks, the week And so weeks, I was leaving to go to London, right? And I said, I'm going to go. Nothing worse than, you know, somebody, an American trying to do a British accent, especially if you ask a Brit. It's like, the, but of course, as soon as we go there, we start talking, yeah, trying that. Hello, love. Hello, mate. Yeah, and all that. And they're like, don't do that. So I said that, and then Douglas said, well, I'm just going to become Nikki. And he started talking to me as me. Wow. That was weird, dude. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that again. That was weird. So, so just to embellish on the dedication from all these guys, it was fucking insane. Like, Colson came to my house. Yeah, talk, when did you first meet him? He... I've known him for... Were you a fan of his music? Because you, you yeah. like that kind of music, I know, too, that he yeah. makes. Yeah. I've known him for a couple of years. We did a show together, like, Jesus, like three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was so... He's like, dude, i got to come over to the house right now. <laughs> he, he comes over with the script, and he's like, did this go down like that? I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much real. Did this go down like that? I was like... Yeah, but maybe just a little. He wanted to know every single fucking detail, um, which was so cool, you know. And then, uh, then taking drum lessons for four months, yeah. uh, you know, before the film. Did he play at all? Excuse Did me. Did he play drums at all before the film? I think he played like a little bit. Yeah, but uh, he had his uh, his buddy uh, teach him for like Is four his brother. Months. Yeah, yeah, his, his brother. His brother. Yeah. How about yeah. the stick twirling thing? Was dude, he, he was never not twirling. Yeah, he was stick. constantly like, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Dedication, my man. Yeah, but, and it, it yeah. pays. It pays off. So I mean, it yeah. looks brilliant in the film. He really does. Crazy. I can't imagine the energy of Tommy and Coulson in the room at the same time. Oh, you should have you know? seen that shit last night. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, man, you haven't left the after party yet, have you, Tommy? I know. <laughs> like, okay, guys, time to go home. You go night-night, you go night-night. <laughs> but going back to him, because he's the one guy in of the four guys that play each of you that actually has a music career and that actually was, if I'm not mistaken, actually is be- is known more as a musician than an, than an actor. So did you, did someone see him doing his, you know, Machine Gun Kelly and say, hey, that guy would be a great Tommy Lee or did he actually just come through casting like everybody else? He said he, didn't he say he went to like five? Yeah. Six Five, auditions? six auditions. And I think Jeff just met him and was like, this guy needs to be in the movie. And originally, he wanted him to be Nikki's dealer, I think. Because he didn't... Yeah. He, yeah initially, he was going to be like the dealer. Or something. Was, this guy's got such an incredible energy. He needs to be in my movie. And he has a jackass tattoo here. So it was like, he's definitely in the film. Um, uh, and then throughout the process, they just realized he is the perfect Tommy Lee. Yeah. He was like, I auditioned for this thing six fucking times. 
Nice. He, he, he found the right guy, man. And yeah. that is, you found the right people in all four of They're the people. They're fucking amazing. Uh, seriously, man, that is such an important element if you're going to do Where a biopic. And the, and the fact that you guys uh, found four people who nailed it so brilliantly is incredible. It really and, is. And who's missing is Daniel, who plays Vince. Right. Which Nikki and I, we're sitting there, we're like, oh, my God. We're watching Vince at what, like? Maybe twenty something years old. Well, we were in that, what, what they call band camp, and we were there, <laughs> and, and we were sitting there in two, <clears throat> like little folding chairs, like the lower ones, and the guys were running through their stuff, and um, Daniel, who plays Vince, was you know in the front where the singer should be, so he's right here, and there's yeah. me and Tommy right, right there, <clears throat> and Tommy just looks at me and goes, "It's it's Vince." It was uh, mind blowing, fucking insane. Like just he. All you guys, everyone, we're like, this is fucking surreal. The only, we're watching, the, the only time we're watching, watching these four years guys ago. that are literally exactly like us. Yeah, I don't feel it's like I'm watching crazy. actors. You know, Val Kilmer did that with uh, Jim Morrison. Like, you don't see yeah, Val Kilmer. That's true. Uh, Mind blowing. You guys, you know, took that on. I'm going to tell you something else, Tommy. That freaked me out the first time I saw the film. Speaking of people acting and resembling somebody, the woman in the film that plays Heather Locklear yeah. looks identical to I her, know, man. Crazy. Like I was like, did they is that actually her? And that, like I was I was tripped out by that. That was yeah. crazy, man. Yeah, it was crazy. Heather was going to come to the premiere, but I think she got spooked. She's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll just stay home. <laughs> so watching at home, yeah. Well, is that, I mean, is that, I mean, I would imagine, because we talked about this earlier before you got here, Tommy, for all the fun moments in the film and all the craziness and all the, the laugh out loud stuff that happens in the movie, there's also some heavy moments and some dark moments for everybody. So this is going to be for your friends, your family, your exes, whatever. It's, you know, for some, it. it, it I mean, I think about with Vince, I mean, there's some couple scenes Hard in this movie mess. for Vince that are going to be a tough watch, you know, and I imagine are. It is, it is such a fucking roller coaster. Yes, yes. Which is it's beautiful. Um, any any good movie has emotion, right? So you got this, you got that, um, and what I'm excited about, and I tell people this all the time. Yes, it's cool for people our age to watch the movie and get catapulted back into you know 1982. Right, but for the for the I don't know eighteen, nineteen year olds, whatever, they're gonna watch this movie and go, "Fuck, I missed it." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, well, we said that earlier because like, it's not like that now. Right. We exactly said that earlier before you got here. It's like there's people. You go backstage now and people are juicing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, they're like, <laughs> "Fuck, <laughs> fuck." There aren't TV. There aren't TVs flying out of the London down no. the street at the hotel anymore. No one does that. Oh, let's be honest with you. As an experienced TV thrower, flat, <laughs> flat screens are really boring to throw out of. <laughs> yeah. Or, no. Oh uh, wow. Well, well, you know. Are you know the uh, band? Woo. Yeah. The the new bands. Are, I'm going to throw my iPad out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need the old school big. Yeah, ass, you need the big square ones. The one that smashes cars. Is that ta take take me through that a little bit, you guys? Because um, is that is that almost a rite of passage for a band when you reach a certain point? Like, do you remember the first time you wrecked 
a hotel room and what the catalyst was to say, I'm going to throw a TV out the window. Like, I, I'm curious in the evolution of a band, when does that moment come that say, yeah, I'm going to fucking do this? I, I just remember um, we had these two security guys, Fred Saunders and a guy, Double L. And uh, everyone was on walkie-talkies, so they'd be like, shh, shh. okay, this is going down in room 222. And I just heard, I think Vince, I can't remember, somebody had a gun and was doing target practice. But I had a target on the wall in the on hotel. The wall. Right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like a 357. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye, good job. So, I mean, just ridiculous. Ridiculous But do you stuff. remember your first TV, Nikki? See, before you got here, Tommy, Nikki said he got the ideas and then made you do them. So you'd be the guilty party. We, um, We're a bad team together. Not good. So, yeah. This is terrible. Right <laughs> Just right now? Yeah. They would separate us. <laughs> they would separate. They literally would the, say, we have to separate them. Because as soon as they start talking, some hotel's going to get burnt down. I, I, I just want to give a shout out to our security guards at that point. I fucking love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we were fucking, we were fucking idiots, like fucking idiots. Like okay, these guys are fucking making tons of money, selling out fucking arenas everywhere, and we're like, uh, what can we do next? Yeah, because you know? the more we, the more bad we did, the more good that happened. The more tickets sold, the more albums so sold. It was so weird for us. I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. Um, me and Tommy were well. We were on. Motley was on tour. What with, store is this? This is the uh, the Dio Hotel, Germany. Got it. German police, <laughs> machine guns, Rottweilers. That story. Rottweilers. Okay. So please do tell. We, we were on tour. It was I forget who we were, but it was like one of those big European festivals. I think it, I know Ozzy was on the tour because Ozzy was in the lobby and he was getting everybody drunk and if you passed out Ozzy would shave your eyebrow off there was a lot of people walking around with one eyebrow so we were (laughs) we were always very aware of that could happen to us and uh, we were all down and Dio was on tour and I can't remember who else but we somehow got the keyboard player from Dio's room key Claude Schnell we went up to his room (laughs) Threw all of his furniture out of the uh, German hotel, TVs, beds, the whole thing. Went back, locked the door, went back down to put his room key next to him, and went up and continued on. Next thing you know, sirens, cops, machine guns, Rottweilers. They arrest him, and Dio had to cancel his show the next day. But we never told anybody. <laughs> Because guess what happened? We moved up the bill. (laughs) Did you got in the film? You actually drop uh, stuff from a hotel room onto a car. With did that actually happen? Did you actually hit a car down below and drop stuff on a a vehicle? That time we did hit the car. Always, (laughs) always. It was a goal to hit the you, car. You, you got to have a target, right? I guess. It would be pointless just to throw a TV out the window. And there's a Yeah, there's a fucking Mercedes <laughs> killer. And there's a great montage in the film, Tommy, of yeah. you. Do you want here, – here's a day, a day in the life on the road where it's in about, I don't know, 60 seconds 
where you start your day and end your day handcuffed to a bed. And, and not for fun reasons, by the way. You might think of that as like, oh, you know, getting kinky. But you, did, you were literally cuffed to, to, so that you would not inflict any more damage, I assume. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I remember once he got handcuffed. And um, I was like, oh, that's too bad. More alcohol for me. So I went to the bar. And next thing you know, Tommy showed up with a handcuff. He somehow got out of the handcuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was all proud. And I, I saw him and talked to him last night. Your, uh, your manager, Doc McGee, at the time, is featured in the movie by a, a great actor. I think he's uh, Dave Constabile, I believe is how you say his name. He's in the Showtime show Billions right now. He's a great character in that as well. But he, the real Doc was at the premiere last night. And I was talking to him a little bit. And, and when you watch this movie, it's like... My goodness, the guy that needs to be apologized to is Doc McGee. Dude, that guy has been through way too much. (laughs) Poor guy. Like, I love him. Dude, we put him through hell. For sure. Absolute hell. When I saw him walking out of the lobby after the film, it looked like he was he was having some post traumatic stress disorder <laughs> for or sure. something. He was like, <laughs> we Some, went, we somebody went. just kill me. <laughs> just kill me. We went through this biting phase and uh, the the key target on because targets are very important as you can tell for me and Tommy. <laughs> right. Uh, the target was the inner thigh. And man, I had Doc on the couch of the bus tommy was pulling a leg open yep. and i was like trying to get in there and like but and doc just punching me in the top of my head <laughs> just pun- and afterwards we would all laugh because we were having fun you know we weren't really being mean we were just seeing how far we could take it we, we went through this crazy biting phase yeah, it was, it where was, we fucking just would bite you draw blood and and, and that only meant we loved you uh-huh. but the, everyone's like ow Fuck, what the fuck are you doing? We would bite the press. We would bite the press. Bite the press? Yeah, all the time. People interviewing you. Yeah, just, just, we'd be doing like some weird interview in the middle of a festival. He's biting, Tommy is is now biting Douglas. He's biting Douglas. Douglas. Trying to get through his leather jacket. Vince Vince bit Eddie Van Halen's hand and we almost got thrown off the tour. Oh my God. I said, that's not the target. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Not Eddie's hand. That's not a target. Remember Malcolm? Yes. Malcolm Young, yes, from AC. You yeah. bit Malcolm. You bit the bit like the, the bit the fuck out of him, <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, "Fucking mate, you fucking, you fucking idiots, <laughs> oh, <holy laughs> fucking idiots." We were like, "Dude, I would just we, we love you, we love you, <laughs> we love ACDC. This is like, this is like a kiss." But you, what I think is amazing is you saved your biting for like true legends like Malcolm Young, Eddie Van Allen. Yeah. Like it wasn't the opening acts you're biting. You're biting the. No. You're going to leave the mark. It's going to be on a real yeah. deal guy. That's pretty. I incredible. remember Doc came to us and he goes, "Good job, assholes. I think you're getting thrown off the Van Halen tour." We're yeah. like, "Why? <laughs> Why?" And then we had to stay in our trailer. Good job, assholes. We weren't allowed to leave our trailer when Van Halen was walking to the stage. Yep. Like it really, literally, like we were being. They handcuffed like, Tommy again. Yeah, they're like, nope, stay in there, <laughs> get out of here. I do want to ask about the scene with I don't know who the actor is who plays Ozzy, but my gosh, is that yeah. the scene of scenes? And look, everybody who's read the book knows the story of of snorting the the live ants and then the whole piss and all that. What I always wondered about is in. First of all, did you guys talk to Ozzy before you recreated that scene? Did you have to? Did you? Because I, I would always be yeah, one. That would be on uh, on uh, Netflix and 
Jeff Tremaine, not not. not like, uh, that's the kind of stuff we have to stay out of. Can't really like call Sharon up and go, "Hey, Sharon, you know." Right. We just left that. Yeah, left that to them. So I'm sure everything is working. Hey, out. Sharon, can we show your husband um, licking up Nikki's piss? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, somebody said all right because it's there, but yeah. and it's it's and it is an incredible. Just when you think Motley Crue couldn't be more insane. Here comes Ozzy just raising the bar to a whole nother level. You have no idea what we know. Stuff beyond that, About, Nikki? Dude. The stuff we can't even tell you. Everybody, <laughs> you guys would just turn into dust. The stuff that Ozzy's done with us. Yeah. I mean, we can't tell you. We can't. It would be a career killing for all of us. The worst. It involves drugs, it involves, poop, yeah, poop, piss, uh, blow up uh, dolls, ants. Uh, cars, I did swimming hear, pools now, together. You guys, you guys uh, didn't tell me this, but I tidy whities. I did Remember? hear from. Uh, yes, came, I do. He came out in a in a fucking Nazi yeah. like uh, like Hitler mustache. Uh, that was the blow up the blow and, up doll. And he was yeah. crying. He was like, ah. we never knew if Ozzy was like messing with us. It was like we weren't sure if he was our sensei, our psychologist, or. Satan, like you never knew, and yet at the same time he'd be the sweetest guy ever. Remember, we were we were doing some shows together, and uh, he came on our bus. He was in a dress, he had a blow up doll, and about an ounce of cocaine. And uh, I'm riding with you guys tonight. Yeah, he says riding, but first, we're like, All right. and then his guy, his his assistant guy that was always with him said, "No, Ozzy, first we have to do a show." Tony, Tony, <laughs> Tony we have to do a show. So they put Ozzy in the golf cart. Take him up on stage. We're sitting there in the bus, and we hear his intro starting. And then what I love about Ozzy's intros is the music stops, and then he runs on stage, and he goes, everybody get crazy, or whatever he says, and then the show starts, right? He walks out. He goes, everybody get crazy, and he's in a dress, and pulls (laughs) up his dress, and he's got these tidy whities on, and the crowd, and he's got a gray old woman's wig on, and, you know, we would be like, well, if he can do that, we can do that. You know, we would always be, well, we got to top that. <laughs> do you, did you guys right? ever hear always. what the effect of snorting live ants into your lungs? And I, like, I, I brought I'm, some for you. No, here. thank you. Yes. No, thanks. I mean, Tommy has a straw. No, thanks. <laughs> but I, I can't even imagine, like, that. Like after that happened, he was seemingly okay, like... <laughs> Singing, drawing breath with live insects in his <laughs> lungs? Dude. We don't know. Let me just tell you something. <laughs> um, for some reason, that day, I I don't know why, but somebody made me responsible for him. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, no. Oh, my God. No, the tour manager was like, I can't fucking deal with him. <laughs> Fuck him. Here's his room key. Yep. Fuck off. And I was like... Uh, Tubby's like I'm the youngest member of the band, and I have I'm Ozzy's tour manager, and I'm out of handcuffs for the moment. Yeah, I'm out of handcuffs. Yeah, and okay, mind you, we're at like the Four Seasons, like some four or five star resort. Everyone's, you know, it's one of those places where this is all not cool. Like not cool. Like it's cool anywhere. Right? So just even having a tattoo at that pool so was not cool. Af- after licking up Nikki's pee, snorting ants, all the shit, I'm like, Ozzy, let's go to bed. Time to go time to go night at. He's like, All right, mate. 
So we get we get into the elevator, and he pulls his pants down and starts to tr- take a shit in, in the in, in the fucking elevator. I'm like, no, dude, no. There's people in here, right? She's like, okay, mate, all right. And he pull he pulls his fucking pants up, and we get to the floor. Ding. All right. I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's your room, buddy. I open the door. Push him the fuck into his room. And he's like, no, you're not going anywhere, mate. I was like, what? And he just fucking pulls his pants down again and shits on the floor and starts taking it and, like, making art on on the fucking walls. And I'm like, dude, I'm leaving. Good night. See ya. And I try to go, and he's like, no. I was like, no, dude, I'm leaving. I'm done. No. He I'm, scared you, is what you're dude, saying. Ozzy always scared Dude, us. I ran the fuck We love out him, of though. Dude. You know, you know we, have to, we, we have to say, I mean, Ozzy, as crazy and wild and fun as we it was, him. He, him and Sharon gave this band a career. Yeah. They took us on the road for 18 months. When we yeah. left. I saw you guys on that tour. Because there was a third band that opened. I think it was Wasted, it was wasn't Wasted. it? Was Wasted. I was yeah. stoked. Pete, Pete Way. Pete, Pete Way's Way one of my guys, Right, man. me too, yeah. And then I found him drinking uh, NyQuil. <laughs> Why NyQuil? <laughs> I don't know, because he was trying to be sober. So he was like, had gallons of NyQuil. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, Can there's ha- alcohol in that, that, so that's probably the idea. It's pretty good. I drank some with him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was really a fucking beautiful time. A great time. For, for us, we got to play in front of... 18, 20,000 people every single night, and we were just coming up. Yeah. No one knew who the fuck we were. We're, yeah. we're, we're coming up. And we got to play in front of 20,000 people every single night. And, and we were with uh, great people. People Ozzie, are really. Ozzy has a lot yeah. to do with that. Yeah. Big time. Because as, you know, we went out on the first tour with him. And then, you know, usually bands move on, right? They got another support act. They, Ozzy just kept taking us. Festivals, they would be like, we want the band on the festivals. They just, they had so much to do with us having, you know, big a big career, and that's why it was important for us to put him in the, you know, obviously the story's in the book, but we wanted him in the movie because we wanted to show, like, he's like sort of, it's like he's like our, you know. Role model. <laughs> I think he enjoyed so much probably having Tommy as a minder. That's a big word. I know. It's a big <laughs> role, word. role model. This movie is going to come out on Friday. I have no doubt that this is going to be immensely popular with your fans. And everyone is very excited and amped up about uh, what's going on with Motley Crue. Just seeing the guys together, seeing the four of you at the premiere, what have you. I know you made the contract. The final show. We're not playing anymore. The success of this movie, is there any chance that it inspires this band to play again? That's a target. That's a target. We're the target. Question that's got to be asked. If you know it's going to come up, you know people are going to start thinking about it and talking about it. Everybody's thinking about it, but but we're not. You're I not. don't mean that in a negative way. We haven't even just, like talked about that at this point. Yeah, no. I mean, to be honest with you, it was re- this movie was so important to us, and this new music was so important to us. Never thought it would happen. You know, me and Tommy have been pretty open about the fact that we, like, when the band the band ended, we weren't even talking, and that was hard because we were best friends. For- Why weren't you talking when it ended? I actually don't. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of different things, but to be honest with you, you get some distance. And you go really. 
Like so spil- maybe, spilt maybe, milk. So you think maybe it's better that you're, you're just your friends now and you're doing cool things around Motley, but maybe it's better that you don't. As much as the fans love to see you, yeah. then you probably maybe it's better you don't go down that road. I I, I just think um, that was a long tour. We toured for two years. Two years without coming home. That's yeah. a long time. You guys leave your house for two years. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. It's, leave your house for two years. It will it will fuck your head up. Yeah. And You're like another fucking turkey sandwich. <laughs> like every hotel room service. I mean, I know it's, it sounds like, you know, like stupid, like quality problems, but you just, you're gone and you're gone. Yeah. And it's like the show, you live for the show, but the show only lasts two hours. Yeah. The it's way like, you're chewing your cereal yeah. is fucking pissing me off. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it, it gets it's to, true. Like, it's it true. Gets to, to dumb shit. Because it said Motley Crue on the marquee of the whiskey last night, and it just said Motley Crue. And you know how many people came up to me like, dude, they're playing? Are they playing in there? And I was I like, know. no, they're just, just Tommy's up I'm there like, drinking. No, we're not playing. <laughs> One of my friends, he's so stupid. He lives in Westlake, and he, he hit me up. He goes, dude, I'm here to see you play. And I go, I'm in bed. <laughs> he's like, Fuck. You're like, he drove two hours. Tommy's there. I mean, he might play drums. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> All right. So Drum no, solo. No, nothing imminent on that front. Before we run out of time, uh, the new well, record. Can I just, just want to say yeah. one thing about that? Please do. Is that we were not like in the best headspace, and then we were hanging out together in this, on, the, uh, on the set, and we just started realizing how much the whole band meant to us, but what we, our friendship meant to each other. And it was Tommy that said, um, we've known each other longer than anybody, right? Except for our parents, and our parents have almost all passed away. So you, you really own, there's only a handful of people that have known each, us as long as we've known each other, and that opened the door to talking about music. And then I said, I got a couple songs. Like I literally was like, I have a couple songs. Like I didn't even know if I should say it out loud. That that kind of sound a little. Motley like, and he's like, "Well, what were they for?" And I was writing some stuff with John Five, and then Tommy goes, "Well, I got some kind of cool stuff," and we didn't know if the other guys would be interested. We just kind of started this thing, and we called Bob Rock, and Bob knows how to get us to be the best version and get the team back together. Get the team back together, and um, these four songs happened. That's on the and the single, the the dirt. Is the fastest growing single we've had since Doctor Feelgood. That's hey, hey, kind hey, of unbelievable. Absolutely awesome. This is a really good story. So um, we we covered uh, Madonna's "Like a Virgin," mm-hmm. right? So yeah, have you heard it? It's fucking rad, right? Okay, well it's all this guy's fault. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> so he's like, Tommy, <clears throat> I have this idea for a cover. And I was like, uh, all right. I'm always open to everything. He's like, I can't tell you what it is. It's the stupidest phone call. Because <laughs> it's like saying, hey, guess what? Um, I got you a Christmas present, and it's July. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah. I was, yeah. And, <laughs> and he's like, um, I can't tell you what it is. I just have to play it for you. And I was like, okay. So we, he comes over. We're working on bass and drums for the for the Dirt record. And he goes, dude, uh, check this out. And he puts a demo on. And I was like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> but, but, but at first he was like, because it doesn't sound like Madonna at all. No, hell no. And he was just, he was going like, oh, this is cool. And it's got that, that kind of raking, rock, big heavy thing in the beginning. Yeah. And, to, and then Tommy's like this. And, uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden I saw his eyes get bigger. And then I'm like, oh man, he's going to punch me right in my fucking face. <laughs> I was like getting ready to get up and leave. And that verse started and you like, were like, wow. I know. And then the chorus drops. I was yeah. like, dude, this is fucking insane. Let's rip it. Yeah. It was fucking crazy. And, and I think like, it's funny that Vince is singing like a virgin. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine Nikki going like, hey, dude, I got this really rad idea. Um, want to cover like a, like a virgin. Then no. I would be like, if you would have called me, no. If you would have called me and said, dude, I got this idea, like a virgin, I'd go, I don't, I don't no, know. No. I don't know. Be so like, no, There's no, only no, one way no. to do it. But then when Bob Rock got... Got us to do it, right? Like beyond the demo, it, man, yeah. fuck, it's dope. Yeah, it's yeah. killer. And there's three original Yo! songs on there, which is, of course, the dirt, which is the uh, titled after the movie. Before we run out of time, there's one other guest that we need to bring up here oh. before we wrap up, oh, no. and he is also prominently in the film, and he is played by Pete Davidson in the film as well, and he's the guy that signed oh, no. the crew. In the house, oh the, yeah, the real Tom, Mr. Tom Zutow, Tom Zutow, Thomas. You will see him, you will see Pete Davidson uh, portray him in the dirt. This is the man that brought the world Motley Crue, ladies and gentlemen, having an embrace with Nikki and Tommy at the moment. Okay, this guy is responsible for all this shit. It's all your fault, Thomas. Tom, how did you feel about seeing the movie and seeing how you were portrayed by Pete Davidson in the film? I actually loved it. You did? Yeah, I did. It was a little comedic. I wasn't quite as funny, but uh, I got the Netflix diet. I was the only guy that doesn't look like the real guy, but yeah. it was cool. And, and, uh, and, and the whole experience of, fi- like, this, you're, we're here in the rainbow. I mean, you actually had a moment here in the rainbow, which you'll see in I the mean, film, I'll, right? I'll, I'll share a little story, which is every successful band that I signed was in the back corner left booth. That's what okay. I just said, right? So, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, all the bands that I took to other booths failed. Like GNR was in that booth. Dokken was in that booth. And you know, it's funny in the movie, I don't know if people caught it, but uh, Motley Crue was opening for Dokken, and that made yeah, me chuckle. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> wait Tom, Thomas, do you remember you, me, Nikki, we went to go see Guns N' Roses, and we're like, dude, you got to sign these fucking guys. Yeah, I wanted Nikki to produce them. This I begged is, him. This, this, was, Remember this that? is one of those things where I, I, I no go, No one knew who wow. the fuck they were. He, he came to me and asked me to produce them, and um, I liked them. Slash was hanging out at my house all the time. And um, you also asked me to write a song for that movie, uh, Out of Bounds. Yes. And that I started writing that song, and then I, it turned into Nona which is on Girls, yeah. Girls, Girls album, when my grandmother passed away and just kind of banished it. But I was so, I was strung out at the time, and I, I passed on GNR because I think I would have blown it. I even, yeah, I even said to Nikki, I said, look, you know, uh, you know Paul and Gene want to produce the band, but I want you to do it. Yeah. But well, thank, you for, that, thank you for that days, opportunity. You know? Yeah. But I, I talked to Mike Klink years later when he produced a Motley Crue album, and I said, you know, he, everybody knows that story, and I said... Uh, 
I said, what was it like in the studio? And he said, I basically just pushed play. <laughs> I just, just yeah. pushed record. It, we called it, it, it uh, capturing lightning in a bottle. It was capturing lightning in a bottle, yeah. and that's how our first album was, too. It and, was like live off the floor. There it is. And I want to say the new music, guys, is like uh, it, it gives me excitement like in the real early days. And just another thing about the movie, you know, the movie is a great story. And it's sort of like what I envisioned when I actually met you guys and signed you that this movie would be how it really happened. Mm. And it's kind of cool to see the movie do that. Is there anything in the movie, you know, a lot of times when these movies are made, no matter how great they are, there's what they call Hollywood taking liberties, like maybe changing a storyline or embellishing something that wasn't there. Is there anything in this movie that while you watch it, you're, you know, maybe, okay, maybe that's just a, a slightly not the way it, it went down that they kind of ran with a little for the, because these aren't documentaries, so they, you know, they do like to build out the storyline a little there's plenty of meat on the bone with the book as it is but is there anything that when you watched it and you look back and you're like well that kind of is maybe a little bit of a turn from from where where it really was anybody anything in there well i mean what i learned um was we, we had two managers we had doc doc mcgee and doug thaler and uh we at one point had two security guys fred saunder and uh Fran saunders and double l and we had a tour manager named rich fisher in the movie there's really only doc mcgee and i remember talking to jeff about that and he said there's there's not another 15 minutes in the film to describe two managers two security guys and a road manager so it all became one guy which was better for story but you referenced doug thaler it's actually funny yeah. what you do because yeah because yeah. i think uh, i don't know who says it but it's like well this guy was really important to us too but there's not enough time for him and he literally evaporates and that's, on the that's being honest right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah totally i mean i can i could tell you about one event and i think it's apropos because of where we're sitting which is the only reason that i got in to the sold-out show at the Whiskey is because of Mario, right? And, you know... I, who, owns nobody, the, who owns here? You know, the Rainbow right. and, 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 and the, the Whiskey. Uh, whiskey yeah. right. So I couldn't get in, right? So they said, we have, you have to talk to the owner. So I talked to Mario, and he was like, give me your business card. He looked at it. It said marketing and sales. He goes, it doesn't say A&R. And I said, look, Mario. And I was like 19 years old. I was a kid, really. I said... I am going to find the biggest rock and roll bands in the fucking world in your club, and your club is going to be famous again like it was in the 60s. Just let me in. And he's like, kid, where are you from? And I said, Chicago. He goes, I'm from Chicago. Oh, he said, wow. do you know anybody? And I said, I gave a certain name of somebody, and he's like, <laughs> uh, come on in. So oh, wow. if, if Mario hadn't let me in, I would have never found these guys. So some, it's just those little things sometimes connect and amazing things I love happen. That stuff. And yeah. Tom, how how much pressure were you getting from the label? Like when things are un unraveling with Motley, which is shown in the movie as well. You, you're you're the point guy. You're in the trenches with them. You're trying to stay away from you know becoming a drug addict or whatever's going on in their world. But you also have to answer to your bosses. And you know there's pr there's scenes in the movie get them back on the road. You, a lot of pressure for I you. Always fought for the bands, right? And one of the reasons I don't work for a major label anymore is there came a time where I was fighting for bands, and the CEO of the company called me in and said, "You know, you're not a company guy." And I said, "I can't be a company guy because if you're doing what's right for the artist, then you're going to sell lots of music and make lots of money." 
So being a company guy, it, it's not, it's, it does a disservice to trying to make successful music. And he fired me. And that's, 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 that's very true what you said. And then the and record companies and, and a lot of businesses work on quarterly billing. And when Motley Crue got our masters, we don't have to answer to anybody. We answer to what's the next right creative thing to do with our music, whatever it is to do. And that's what Tom's saying is he got fired because that's how he thinks. Yeah, and that's, he, that's how you have to think yeah. if you want to be independent artist. And here we are sitting with one of the few bands that got their masters back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is which it's is incredible. Which is also seen in the film, which is an important sort of pivotal moment in you guys kind of taking the the rights back to your world and sort of retooling and starting over again almost, which you had to do at that point. Can I just say something that's very weird to me? We got sixty seconds. What is this? It's a CD. That is still my favorite format for music. Thank you, Tom. Long live the CD, the best still. Absolutely. I'm with you all the way. Well, thanks to you and Rayon and Douglas Booth, uh, two of the actors from The Dirt. Thanks to Nikki Six and Tommy Lee, two of the members of Motley Crue. Thanks to their A&R guy back in the day, Tom Zutout, for dropping by there at the end. Look forward to doing something way more substantial with Tom with all his stories somewhere down the line. Thanks to everybody who came out to the Rainbow a couple weeks ago to be a part of that special with Motley Crue. And, of course, thanks to the Rainbow Bar and Grill for hosting the Trunk Nation's L.A. Invasions. As I was saying earlier, the next one is really, really coming up soon, like in a week or so. So please be sure to keep an eye on eddytrunk.com and my social media. I'll let you know as soon as it's locked who the guests are going to be. If you're in Southern California, come down. Everybody else, listen live on Sirius XM 106 volume. You can hear me there every day talking rock with you, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, or you can listen to the show on demand anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. and Canada and are already not a SiriusXM subscriber, please come on board and join us. You will not regret it. We have a great time talking rock every day, and if you can't listen in either of the two broadcast windows every day, like I said, on the app, you get the show that day on demand and listen anytime you want, and hope you join us, all the members of Trunk Nation that gather every day to talk nothing but rock on volume. Thanks to Katie Rosari. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. And I will see you guys again next Thursday for another all new episode. Have a good week.
Need help keeping up with the Kardashians? I would not be surprised if Kylie Jenner hires a private investigator to follow Travis Scott around and make sure he's not cheating. Join blogger and king of snark Perez Hilton to keep track of their latest family drama, as well as everything else happening in the celebrity world. She also said, I am not clickbait. And that's what I disagree with. (laughs) Because she is clickbait. Download new episodes of the Perez Hilton podcast every Monday on Podcast One.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.